Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Wall, and I'm one of the elders here at Genesis Church, and and uh, it's my pleasure to share with you this morning. And uh, two things: first of all, when we first had this uh, on the schedule, Paul and, and his wife Jenny decided they were going to have a nice, relaxing weekend away, and went to visit Paul's parents in Illinois, and um, were, were planning for vacation. And they did; they went on vacation. But I got a message from him on. Um, Thursday that said they asked him to preach today. So um, not really a great vacation for a pastor, probably. Uh, but, but they're away having a good time with his family. Second of all, I have struggled this week with some allergies and sinus stuff. And so if I have to stop for a moment, I've got my water over here. So I'm just going to ask for your forgiveness in advance if I've got to stop and, and uh, hockaloogie or whatever. So sorry. Um, well, the young man had it all. He had more money than he ever knew what to do with, or at least so he thought. He had every new gadget that came out, every new piece of fashion. He ate the very finest food all the time. He drank the finest wine, only top shelf stuff. Because he had all this stuff, um, he tended to attract a lot of friends. With his muscled physique honed by years of working on the farm and his hair all swept forward like Justin Bieber, you know, all the middle school parents know who Justin Bieber is, right? He was the envy of every young man, and he was every woman's desire. Now, you can imagine with such great food and great wine and beautiful people around, the parties he threw were epic. I mean, like off the chisane. I mean, he, he, was, he was throwing parties like you wouldn't believe. And when he left his house at a young age, this is how he always imagined it would be. He knew it was going to be like this. Well, I mean, at first, he wasn't sure his parents would buy it, um, that, that he would have to get half of the money. His dad would have to sell part of the farm field and would have to cash in some livestock and give him money out of the emergency fund. And he wasn't sure his parents would go for it, but they did. His dad bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And now, here he was. And this, the, he, he had money. He had friends. He had women. But most of all, he had freedom. Until... He didn't. Because, see, in gradually, slowly, over time, not in one wonderfully devastating collapse, but piece by piece, the young man's world fell apart. First, the money went. He was broke. Then, the food and drink were close behind. Of course, the young ladies went away next, and with the young ladies gone, there was no reason for his friends to hang around. And finally... His hair got so long and out of control, he lost his last bit of sex appeal when he had to get it buzzed short. Finally, horror of horrors, having no money, no food, no way to provide for his family, the young man had to get a job. And with no formal training, only working on the farm, he got the only job that anyone would give him. And that's where we'll pick up this story in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling this story, and he says, After he spent everything, there was a severe famine that the whole, in the whole country, and he, the young man, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, I, I, you need to understand this was a demeaning job for a couple of reasons. First of all, this young man had been at the height of society not long before, right? So, so this job was really beneath him anyway, and in today's society... Uh, uh, working on a farm. How many of you, any of you detassel corn when you were a kid, for instance? Uh, that's not the most glamorous job, right? So 
this is this is this is hired handwork. This is this is manual labor, and it, it was insulting for that reason for, for this young man. Second of all, um, feeding pig, pigs are not the cleanest animals. You probably know that. Um, and so, for anybody to go in and, and feed pigs is, is a dirty job. But but in particular for a Jew, for a young Jewish boy, and we assume that this uh, boy that Jesus is telling the story about was a Jewish uh, boy. Uh, Jews believed pigs to be unclean. They wouldn't eat them. There was no reason to farm them. So no Jews owned pigs. So um, he was obviously working for a Gentile or a non-Jew. And so for a number of reasons, this is a very demeaning job for this young man where he ends up, okay? So he's feeding pigs. But it got worse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. See, something happened in this moment. And Jesus says, when the young man came to his senses. But something happened in this point in time. He's looking down at this, this garbage he was feeding the pigs and wishing he could eat some. And he surrendered. At this moment, the son realized it would be better to be a servant in his father's house, better to be a slave than to be free. Now, I'm going to use the term slave throughout this message, and I want you to understand a couple things. First of all, it doesn't say in the Bible right here that he decided it would be better to be a slave, but he's making that decision. And let me tell you a couple things, a couple reasons why I think he's making that decision. First of all, when Jesus talks about serving, so when he says something, for instance, like, if you truly want to be great, you will become a servant to many, he uses the word doulos, the, word, the Greek word doulos, which is, um, which is very specifically translated as slave. So Jesus says, if you want to be great, you will become a slave. And, and this young man in particular, this is not a 23-year-old coming home from college trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life for a couple of years. You know, he's not, he's not coming back and saying, Mom, can I have my bedroom back? Have you already made it into a den? You know, I'm, this is not a kid that's coming home looking for a waypoint on the way somewhere. This young man had already made a decision. He already knew what he was going to do with his life, and it did not involve his family. And so when he made that original decision, I mean, think about it. If he'd have stayed home, this young man had stayed home, everything that he got, everything that his father gave him, would have been his eventually anyway when his father died. So in effect, when he left home, what he was telling his father was, I know you're not dead, but I wish you were because I want your money. And the father complied. And so this is not a young man who's coming home looking for a place just to rest his head for a couple of years while he gets back on his feet. He's making a decision here that he's going to be indebted the rest of his life to his father. Do you agree? I hope. Okay. So he's made this decision that it would be better to be a slave than to have his freedom. See, when he had his version of freedom, everyone was vying for him. People were tugging at him from all sides. They wanted his money. They wanted his food. They wanted to be, to be seen with him and just have the benefits that go with that kind of lifestyle. And he, he really had no freedom at all. But when he got hungry, and the Bible says when he came to his senses, he realized that slavery would be a better option. It was only then that he got the truth that slavery is true freedom. For someone to have tasted freedom and then chose to become a slave afterwards, I think that's a pretty compelling message for you and me. In that moment, everything he had hated about his father's house when he left, the, the, the stability, the certainty, 
the, the, the boring uh, lifestyle, everything that he had, the protection that it offered now represented true freedom to this young man. But it took that moment of surrender for him to realize that. He, in his case, had to be broken. You know, it's the same way with us. When many of us think of freedom, we think of not living under authority, right? I mean, it starts when we're young. We can't wait to break away from our parents and live on our own, and then we'll be free. I remember my wife the other day uh, was talking to a, a young boy in my daughter's second grade class, a, a kid named Ethan. Uh, maybe I shouldn't give away names so uh, to protect the innocent, but, but she was talking to Ethan, and Ethan introduced himself as, um, as my daughter. She, he's dating my daughter. Now, this, this, sec, second grade. Second grade. Now, this was a shock to me as the father because I don't remember any little eight-year-old coming to the, the house in, on his bicycle and picking up my daughter and taking her out on a date, right? And so, so but, but my wife is much better at these kind of situations than I am. Um, and so she said, well, it's nice that you two are friends, but you're too young to have a girlfriend and, and Grace is too young to have a boyfriend. And he says, yeah, I know. I'm not really allowed to date till I'm 18 anyway. But I'm getting my own place when I'm 13. You are not her boyfriend. <laughs> but, but we're like this. We think if we, if we don't have an authority figure in our life, then we'll be free. And so like the young man in this story, we strike out on our own. And at first it feels great. I'm not going to lie. I mean, at first there's nobody telling you what to do, what to wear, where to go, what to eat, what not to eat. It feels great. But what we quickly find out is while there may not be any physical authority over us, we all become a slave to something. Now, with this young man, it was a hedonistic lifestyle. What started out innocently enough, I'm sure, as the good life, quickly spiraled out of control into a life of sex and drinking and wild parties and hard living that just became unsustainable. But he couldn't help it. It had control of his life. So let me ask you today, what are you slave to? What has control of your life? Maybe for you, it's an addiction to drugs or to alcohol and and you've tried to fight it, and you've even gone long periods without drinking or smoking or taking those pills, but eventually life catches up and, and you're right back at it. Or maybe for you it's sexual sin, and try as you might, you just can't end that relationship. You just can't turn off that TV channel. You just can't navigate away from that website. And it's, you're afraid to admit it to anyone, but it's ruining your life. Or maybe for you, it's pride. Maybe you're sitting here now and thinking, well, I don't have any of those problems, so I guess I'm okay. Boy, I'm glad I'm not those people. Those are some messed up people. Glad that's not me. But maybe you're struggling with pride. Pride is a sin, the Bible tells us. And maybe it's got control of your life. Maybe it's money. Maybe for you, you're fighting to attain a certain lifestyle or to maintain a certain lifestyle, and it's crippled you. And you want to be generous, but you're so enslaved to your house or to your car or to what your friends think that you can't be generous. Well, I'm here to tell you today that in the upside-down world of Jesus, slavery is freedom. And I'm going to invite you today to take a step into slavery. Now, for this young man, God had to break him. He had to reach that breaking point. He had to be broken. We have a choice. Um, a lot of you in here know that I'm a runner, or um, I run anyway. And um, about eight weeks ago now, I started having a pain in my lower leg, and, and I took a day or two off here and there and just kind of ignored it. And every time I'd run, it would get a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And finally, about uh, nine, eight weeks ago, I went out for a run and it was bad. And so I took an entire week off and then went out for a run the next Saturday and it was worse. 
And so I took an entire week off. And then I did a race, and it was much worse. And on Saturday, I did the race, and on Sunday, I couldn't walk. And on Monday, I couldn't walk. And so I went to the doctor, and he, he diagnosed it as a tibial stress fracture in the distal third of my tibia, for you medical geeks out there, and, um, and said, you have two choices, basically, Steve. He said, you can continue to run, but it will eventually break, and then you will be forced to stop for a long time. He said, or you can choose to stop now, and it will get better faster. I could wait for my leg to be broken, which it would do, or I could, I could choose to surrender now and stop running. And I think we're the same way. Uh, we can wait to be broken, or we can make a choice to surrender. There's an old cowboy saying that I love that says the same thing, uh, but maybe in a little more elegant way. And, and you can use this. This is free to you, okay? And, and I know some of you will use it tomorrow. Um, but it says this. This old cowboy saying says, when you realize you're riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount. Think about it. Dismount. Whatever it is that's controlling you, you need to get rid of it. You need to dismount. You have to cast it off. You've got to surrender. I think the Apostle Paul says it best in, in the book of Romans. In Romans 6, we'll start with verse 12. It says, he says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. In other words, don't be a slave to sin. But you've probably tried that before already. And if so, you may be at a loss for what to do next. And, and that's great because Paul tells us right here. He says, Instead... Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but you have, now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. And maybe today you're in a place where you've walked away from God because you didn't like the rules. I mean, many of us were raised in a church, and we didn't like the fact that you couldn't do this, or you couldn't say that, or you couldn't go to those places, and you wanted the freedom that came with living how you wanted to live. But I bet it didn't work out that way, did it? And now you're here because you're looking for a way back. Or maybe you're in a place where you've never made that commitment to God. Maybe you've just decided that church was all about acting a certain way and the rules all seem pretty arbitrary and the people are all fake anyway. They're all hypocrites, so I don't know why I'd join something like that. And there was no reason to follow those rules. But you can't figure out why that one sin just keeps to, seems hang, to hang on, keep hanging on. Well, I think there's a picture in the book of Genesis that's pretty telling for me. It comes from Genesis 4-7. It says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. I love that picture of, well, a scary picture, but of sin crouching by the door. It's like it's waiting for you to come out of that house, waiting for you to leave the security of your master's place so that it can just pounce and attack, Right? See, whenever we leave the protection of our master, the risk of taking him from illusion, I am from the illusion, because it as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. See, in the upside-down way of Jesus, in order to be truly free, we need to choose to be a slave. We're all going to be a slave to something. So what will you choose as your master? You've got to surrender to God. Surrender. You've got to surrender. Now, I, I think the best 
um, description of being a slave that I've heard um, is, is actually from a, a version of the Bible called The Message uh, by Eugene Peterson. And it, uh, in Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 says, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Your everyday life, your eating, sleeping, walking around, going to work, teaching the kids, cooking dinner, washing the dishes, going to bed, life, to give it to God. Because, see, the very word slavery has some negative connotations, and for good reason. I mean, in America, when we think about slaves, we often think about the slavery that occurred in this country from its founding up until just about 150 years ago, and it was ugly. I mean, it took away the dignity of the slave. And so I want you to know that I'm not using the term slave lightly. But if you surrender to God, if you're going to become a slave to him, you need to understand what that means. So uh, with, a, with a few minutes we have left, I've put it in your notes in the, in the program if you want to follow along. There's a few things that I think we can find from, from Scripture that being a slave means. And so here are some thoughts on that. Excuse me. Number one, a slave follows his master's orders. You know, in this series, we've been talking about all along the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And and, and in this context, here's what it means. A fan would come to church, right? I like Jesus. Yay, Jesus. Woo! I'm going to come to church. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm going to eat a bagel and drink a cup of coffee in the cafe. I'm going to come in and and, and sing the songs. Man, I love the music. The band's so awesome. And, And the band is awesome. So don't, that's not bad. But for a fan, that's kind of what it's about. Maybe they like the preaching most weeks, anyway. Uh, Maybe not this week, and that's okay. But his or her life never changes. A follower does just what the word suggests. A follower follows. A follower wants to get closer and closer to Jesus. A follower obeys what Jesus says, right? And in James 1, it says it really well, I think. It says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So so if we do what the word says, then we will be blessed, right? In the days of Jesus, a rabbi would have some followers, at least one follower, hopefully more, but some followers. And there was a blessing in that day that was often used to young Jewish boys who were following rabbis that's loosely translated something like this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what that meant was that it was good to follow so close to your rabbi that the dust his sandals kicked up would, would cover you, would, would coat your face and your clothes and your shoes, your sandals. And, and that, in other words, you were going where he went. You were doing what he did. You were trying to be exactly like him. The, the, the followers of a rabbi would carry his yoke, it's called. And, and a yoke, as we know it, is a, is a device that... Uh, ties two oxen together so that they can share a load. But very uh, generally, very loosely, a yoke is, is translated as something that binds us together, something that ties us together. And for a rabbi, his yoke would be his teaching. The totality of his teaching would be called a yoke. And so that his, his followers, a rabbi's followers, would frequently follow, would carry his yoke, his teaching. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke, he's calling to us, take my yoke upon you or upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wonder for how many of you does that sound good today? How many of us would like to just find some rest for our souls? Because we're in a place right now and with life going on, it's just not very restful. There's, there's, there are things in the house that we can't control and there's things at work that we can't control and there's things all over our life, all of our family and our friends that, that are out of control and our souls are not very restful right now. But Jesus says if we take up his yoke, if we follow him, if we learn from him, he's gentle and humble in spirit and we'll find rest for our souls. And I think just like any good student of a rabbi, a slave would do well to follow his master this closely. The second thing it means to be a slave is this. Two, a slave owns nothing. In fact, a slave is the property of someone else, right? But as we've talked about a lot at Genesis Church over the years, none of us own anything anyway. Uh, God owns it all, and we manage it for him, right? That's what we believe. That's why we cheer when the offering comes around, because we're, we're giving God part of his money back, and we get blessed for it. How cool is that? We don't own anything anyway. We cannot. You cannot take it with you. No matter how hard you try. I heard a story of a man who tried to take it with him. He told his wife, he said, Honey, when I die, I want you to put all of my money in the casket with me. I'm taking it to the afterlife with me. And so, as often happens in jokes, he died. And, uh, and at the funeral home, his wife came up and put the money box on his chest. The undertakers closed the casket and took it away. And she sat back down and her friend said, Now, I know you did not just do what I think I saw. I know you did not put all that money in the casket. And the wife said, I am a Christian woman. I made a promise to my husband that I would send him away with everything he owned. So I wrote him a check. No matter how hard you try, you can't take it with you. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything you think you own is God's. Your money, your house, your car, your job, family, your life. But when you live like it's his, you have freedom from worrying about them. You you hold things with open hands so that if he needs to use them, he can take them. He can fulfill his purpose. He can just reach down and take it. And it's so much more freeing. And and trust me, from experience, it's so much more freeing than trying to hold on to stuff tight and having God come down and pry it out of your hands because that gets painful. And if he needs your job to accomplish his purpose if he needs your salary or part of your salary to accomplish his purpose, if he needs your house to accomplish his purpose, if he needs your car to accomplish his purpose, he's going to take it. Everything belongs to God. And when we pretend to own it, we're just fooling ourselves. A slave owns nothing. But here's the corollary to that, the third part of this that I love. A slave wants for nothing also. Matthew 6, 31 says, uh, do not worry. Jesus is talking, says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Now maybe this is important for you to hear today. Because maybe you're not a slave to sin. I mean maybe you had some addiction. And and Jesus helped you cast it off. and, and, And you don't struggle with that anymore. But worry is ravaging your life. You've lost your job. You're hanging on by a thread. You're waiting around for that next test to come back. And and you can't help yourself, but you are worried sick. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills, and people are calling, and you just let the phone ring, and the voicemail's full, and you don't know what you're going to tell anybody if they call anyway because you don't have any money. 
And you've done everything you can to try to fix it, but it's not going away. Dismount. Surrender. Now, I'm not suggesting that all your problems are going to go away if you decide to follow Jesus. Nor am I saying that everything you want will be magically bestowed upon you. That's not scriptural and it's not true, uh, even if you surrender. But I do believe, and I think it's scriptural, and I've seen in action, that your needs will be supplied. And maybe in a very tangible way, or maybe in a strange supernatural way that supernatural way that you nor your friends nor your family really understand and that you will have a peace about your life that surpasses all human understanding. But you've got to surrender to make that happen. Become a slave and you'll want for nothing. The fourth part of the story about the slave, the slave is prized by his master. In biblical times, good slaves could often have places of high authority in society even though they belong to someone else. I mean, think about the story of Joseph. You know, if you know the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis, Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar, but he became the head of Potiphar's house, second only in command to Potiphar himself. He was a slave. He was owned by Potiphar, but he was second in command at his house. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Joseph the slave was put into prison, and, and he ran the prison. And then Joseph the slave uh, translated a dream for the king, and, and the king put him in command of, the, of, the, of Egypt's food bank, basically, and said, you are second in command only to me. So as a slave, Joseph had a place of high honor. He was prized by his master. A master may have many possessions, but a, good, a truly good slave would be among the most important and most prized. And it's no different with God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. I mean, after all, he made you and me to be like him. He will never leave you or forsake you because you are his prize. You are his joy. Matthew 10 says it this way, starting in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I mean, what kind of crazy love is that? The creator of the universe, who made all of this, who made you, who, who made himself into a man and came down here to die on that cross for you and me, that creator has numbered the hairs on your head. How crazy is that? And sometimes we wonder if he even cares about the situation we're in. Sometimes we wonder if he even cares about the hurt we're feeling right now. Sometimes we wonder if he even knows what we're going through. Does he even hear what we're praying about? Does he even know? Does he know what I'm feeling right now? So that takes us back to our story. When we left our intrepid young man, he had decided to become a slave. He'd faced that moment of surrender and decided to give in. And we pick up the story back in Luke 15. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, once the son surrendered, his father ran to embrace him. This story tells us as much about the heart of the father as it does about the son. See, what we don't see in the story is the in-between. We don't see the nervousness of the father. We don't see how every day when he woke up, he'd walk down the drive and look down the road, just hoping to catch a glimpse of his son coming home. We don't see how every time he was out in the fields and he'd catch something move out of the corner of his eye, he'd look up wondering if it was his long-lost son coming home or how, how every time he was, he was in the house and he'd hear a familiar voice, he'd kind of look up and glance and, and hope that it was his son coming back to him. So when the day came, at the moment of surrender, the father was so excited to see the son, he gave him everything again. He restored him to his place of glory in the house. He, he threw a party that, that I have to imagine would make the young man's parties that he was throwing look pretty lame, okay? But I have to wonder, if the son had run back and demanded what he was owed, how would the father have responded? If, if, if the son had come back and said, you know what? I give up. I, I can't do it on my own. Can, can I have my room back? Can you, can you take the computer out and put my bed back in? I'm home. I don't know that the father's response would have been the same. I mean, but because the son came willing to serve as a slave, because he came with the heart of surrender, he was entitled to everything the father has. Because he came with this spirit and that attitude, he was once again made free. See, the cool thing here for you and me in this story is this. When when we decide to become a slave, when we face that moment of surrender, we don't have to do all the work. We just have to, to start moving toward our Father. And when He sees us moving toward Him, He drops everything and He runs to us and He embraces us. He comes down the road to meet us. We don't have to get there. We don't have to wait until we've got it all together before the Father embraces us. We don't, have to, we don't have to finish our confession because he already knows what we did. And so when you see the son saying, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I make me a servant. The father's not even listening anymore. He doesn't care. He's running towards us. He wants to embrace us. He wants to put his arms around us and lift us up in the air and, and put the robe back on us and put the ring back on us and throw a party and celebrate because we've made the decision to come back. He takes care of you. You become his pride, prized possession when you make that you became the thing that he loved so much that he gave himself up for you on that cross. Do you get that? For you. That's for you. That's for you. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. So what is it in your life? What has control of your life right now? What's crouching outside your door? Are you waiting to be broken? Or are you going to make the decision to surrender for yourself? What is it that you need to escape from? that you need to leave behind right now and run to your father and surrender to him? What makes you want to get up and run to him and leap into his arms 
Are you worried that he won't be there? Don't worry. He's been there waiting to catch you all along. Ever since you left, he's been waiting the whole time. But you've got to surrender. You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender. Father God, we are so sorry for what we do. And uh, we're so thankful that you've offered a way back. Lord, we know we don't always live up to your expectations and, and that this is not how you created us, but we are so thankful that you are there waiting for us to jump into your arms. And uh, Lord, today, I, I don't know what's going on in this room. I don't know what has people's hearts, um, what people struggle with, but you do. And um, over the next few minutes, as we just come to you and worship and we, we, we give up everything to you, we, we, we say these words that, that we surrender all. Lord, I just pray that we could mean those words. I pray that, that even while we sing, even while we stand here, that we understand that we're standing before you and before your throne and that, uh, that you would give us a heart of surrender. God, we love you. We thank you for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen.